Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. New rules and a stark new timeline. A reluctant Boris Johnson announces a fresh set of restrictions that could stay in place for six months. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. The UK's reached a perilous turning point, the words of the Prime Minister as he laid out the new rules to combat an upsurge in cases. The number of cases is doubling roughly every seven days, according to the country's scientific advisers. Without new measures, that would take the country to 200 deaths a day by November. So it was back to the Commons for Boris Johnson where he announced new restrictions for England. Office workers who can work from home should... Pubs, bars and restaurants must close by 10pm from Thursday and only carry out table service. Face coverings must be worn in more places. Weddings will be capped at 15 people from Monday. And the list of exemptions to the rule of six has been cut. Now, there's quite a few changes. If you missed any of them, I'll put a link to a full write-up of what you soon can and can't do in the show notes to this episode. But there's one thing that was a little less difficult to miss from the Prime Minister's speech today, an indication of quite how long these measures might be in place. Unless we palpably make progress, we should assume that the restrictions I have announced will remain in place for perhaps six months. For the time being, this virus is a fact of our lives. And I must tell the House and the country that our fight against it will continue. We will not listen to those who say let the virus rip, nor to those who urge a permanent lockdown. Our associate editor, the brilliant Camilla Tomney, was watching the Prime Minister's statement. Earlier, I gave her a call to discuss whether Mr Johnson can really still be called a libertarian Prime Minister. But I started by asking her whether, after months of mixed messages, Tuesday's plan was one the government could stick to. It's difficult to know whether the government can stick to any plan when we're in an ever-changing situation. So on one hand, I think the public has some sympathy with this idea that everything that Boris Johnson has announced, he's always given an element of conditionality to. If you look back at the speeches, to be fair to him, he said, but we will not hesitate to reverse these decisions if it seems as if the R rate is climbing up. Regardless of whether you believe the doomsday scenario painted by uh, Professor Witte and Sir Patrick Vallance, There is this sense that you have to adapt to a changing situation on a local level and also national. So in that regard, I think the Westminster bubble is sort of more obsessed with the U-turns than the wider public. 
But at the same time, because there have been so many U-turns, the wider public have been left confused. And if they're confused, they think that the government is also confused and not across the coronavirus pandemic as comprehensively as it should be. Do you think it's fair to say that what ministers are confused about is who they're taking advice from? Because on one side, you've got influential conservative voices, among them their own backbenchers who are looking to uh, restore civil liberties and be done with this this new normal. They just want to return to, to normal normal. And on the other side, you've got scientists or, or their scientific advisors like Professor Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Valance, who uh, on Monday were calling for um, very strong action, very swift action and greater measures and saying that if we don't do that, we risk facing 50,000 new cases a day by the by the middle of October. Um, it's interesting that Boris Johnson himself used this language in explaining how conflicted he is over the debate between saving lives and livelihoods. So he said, we cannot listen to those who say, let the virus rip, nor those who urge a permanent lockdown. And unfortunately, he is caught between those two stables, not just in mm. the world of academia, which is diametrically opposed on this, but equally in the country between those who think we should have more restrictions and those who think that it's gone too far. And in his own cabinet, you've got the divide between the hawks and the doves. So as is ever the case, and this is typical of Tory prime ministers or indeed any prime ministers, he's having to tread a tightrope between different wings of his party. And of course, that then produces what we had earlier, which is a bit of a climb down. It's a compromise. It's, it's a way of finding a middle way, not least when we consider that Witty and Valance were fairly punchy in their predictions on Monday and everyone is expecting what would effectively amount to a second lockdown. And then the UK stock market took an absolute tumble. And I think that probably exercised minds in Downing Street that there had to be more weight placed on the economic concerns as opposed to the protecting the NHS ones. You didn't have to be watching too hawkishly uh, Boris Johnson at the dispatch box today to realise that he didn't seem to be enjoying reimposing these new rules. And actually, that's been a theme all along when Boris Johnson has given these big statements and, and imposed lockdowns and measures that it goes against his libertarian values as a leader. But Camilla, do you actually think that the prime minister who's imposed the biggest lockdown in British history can still be called a libertarian at all? I think Boris Johnson's still a libertarian prime minister when there isn't a global pandemic on. But I think there's been two issues. First of all, he's been forced to become more authoritarian because of the conditions he's been faced with. Second of all, I think there may have been a personal shift because he suffered from the disease. And I think when somebody nearly dies um, from the condition, they very much don't want anyone else to suffer from it. And I don't think that's overstating the, the trouble he was in when he caught coronavirus. And I think that has affected his approach to this. On one hand, you have people, Tory backbenchers, sort of criticising him for being too in hoc to sage, you know, having his finger hovering over the panic button, very much buying into this scaremongering rhetoric among the academia. But then if you've been in intensive care with the thing, then I think you're probably more attuned to the dangers than people wandering around claiming to have antibodies um, and not worrying if they get it because they're under the age of 80. On the measures themselves, Camilla, one thing that really struck me today was that Boris Johnson didn't talk at all about the track and trace system uh, or about upping testing until he was challenged on both of those subjects by Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, and by a number of other uh, Labour MPs who were questioning him after the Prime Minister's statement. Did you get the sense that this was a pivot, that Boris Johnson's come to the conclusion that 
actually social distancing and hygiene measures are the way to combat this virus now, maybe because he's scared to commit once again to other systems like the track and trace system that currently seem littered with problems? Well, I think once bitten, twice shy. Um, That claim to have a world-beating test track and trace system has come back to bite him. It's interesting that he didn't mention it because I do understand that ministers are quite hopeful about the launch of the app, which has been trialled since um, August in the Isle of Wight and the London borough of Newham and was stalled initially and had to be completely rebooted. I think there is some hope that, as Chris Whitty put it on Monday, science will ride to the rescue, not just Mm -hmm. in the form of a vaccine, but equally in the whole test, track and trace system. But he wouldn't have wanted to shine the spotlight on what has been clearly a problem for government, a problem of rolling out enough tests to meet demand. And I think legitimate criticisms from Labour that they could have predicted as soon as schools went back that demand would shoot through the roof and didn't properly prepare for it. Now, the whole point of these measures is to reduce the R number, the rate of infection below one. Looking forward, did Boris Johnson give any hint of what might be to come in the in the coming weeks, months, God, I hope not years. Um, And what are the chances of a second national lockdown? That's really the question on everyone's lips, isn't it? Well, I think in terms of time frame, it was interesting that he repeated the professors in talking about six months and having to live with the virus and it not being eradicated because I think hopes of a vaccine before Christmas are waning. When it comes to whether more restrictions are needed, I think the Prime Minister is genuine in wanting to resist that. Um, not just because of his own personal ideology, but equally because of the pressure being mounted on him from members of the cabinet, including the chancellor, from Tory backbenchers, and actually from the public getting completely sick and tired with being told what to do and threatened with fines and all the rest of it. So once again, he's counting on the the silent majority of sensible Brits to follow these new restrictions, behave themselves and bring the R rate down. It's interesting that he did water down what had been pitch-rolled at the weekend, It had been suggested that they were looking at a circuit break, that we could have, you know, the hospitality industry, not curfew, but actually closed down for a fortnight. I also understand there was discussions at cabinet level about whether to close all non-essential retail, should they change the rules around mixing of households. And actually, they resisted that. So that represents a compromise, although a cynic might say perhaps they pitch rolled that sort of tougher measured approach because they wanted the public to be happy with something that seemed a little less draconian. Another thing that a cynic would say is that it was predictable that Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish first leader, she came out shortly after Boris Johnson and announced measures more stringent than his um, in what they would say was a sort of political one-upmanship. The main one being that people in Scotland can't even visit each other's houses from Wednesday. What's your take on whether that was a political move? Well, we'd expect Nicola Sturgeon to announce even more stringent measures because effectively she's a socialist who believes in a big state and uh, Boris Johnson isn't a socialist um, and he doesn't believe in that level of nannying. So equally, Sturgeon's got this knack, hasn't she, of kind of predicting what the scientists might say, announcing it and then looking as if she's been um, vindicated. Um, Yes, it's problematic, but when you've got devolved administrations, you almost have to leave them to it. I and mean, there's been a bit of jibing this week about the lack of a joined up COBRA response to this. You know, in the early stages of the pandemic, you had all four corners of the UK communicating. But yet you also see um, Mayor Sadiq Khan out of sync. People find it curious that he's talking about closing down the capital when 
Even Sir Patrick Vallance admitted that when it came to antibodies, although 8% of the whole population was showing signs of having antibodies, 17% of Londoners were showing signs, which some might argue would be a reason not to lock down the capital. The rest of the coronavirus latest news. The US coronavirus death toll has crossed 200,000, the highest in the world. The country is currently experiencing a second wave of infections, with cases increasing particularly quickly in Texas and Wisconsin. America suffered more than 20% of all cases and deaths worldwide, despite having only 4% of the world's population, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. Whitbread, the company that owns Premier Inn, will axe up to 6,000 jobs as demand for its hotels and restaurants remains low. The cut represents almost a fifth of the company's workforce. Holiday company TUI has also started implementing its planned cut of 8,000 roles to survive the coronavirus crisis, a move announced in May. France is to relax self-isolation rules in primary schools despite seeing an exponential rise in infections across most of the country. From Tuesday, when a child tests positive, the child's peers are no longer considered as close contacts because of the low risk the virus poses to children. Local health authorities will now only be able to ask pupils in the same class as the infected child to self-isolate if at least three test positive. As always, if you'd like to read more on any of those stories, you can find links in the show notes to this episode, alongside a link to Camilla Tomney's latest piece of top-rate analysis on why Boris Johnson is on the brink of being stumped. And if you're not already a Telegraph subscriber and you'd like to support our journalism and help us make more podcasts like this, well, head to telegraph.co.uk slash audio. You can get the first 30 days completely free and after that, subscriptions start at a bargainous £2 a week. If you found this podcast helpful, please do leave it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me know that I'm making audio that you like listening to. And subscribe to this feed to make sure you don't miss my next update. You can find me on Twitter. It's at T underscore Leludis. Or email me. The address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leludis. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.